most people would understand that the Christian church is simply a collection of people who follow Jesus. But what else makes the church different from other groups of people in the society? This new series is over four weeks and is entitled Weird and Wonderful. When I first saw it, I thought it was the description of the speakers for the four weeks. But it isn't, well, maybe some of us. And we're going to take a close look into four common activities that Christ follows throughout the ages and around the world that, to the outsider, may seem weird, but to those inside or part of it, are wonderful. So we're going to take a deeper look at some of those distinctives, the things that make us different. And the overarching distinctive is we belong to a community of believers who are called to live differently in our fragile and uncertain world. And therefore we'll be viewed differently. So over these next four weeks, we're going to look at this weird and wonderful thing that we know as the church under four headings. Church itself, communion, baptism and tithing. Obviously that's not a complete list of the distinctives of the church, but we are focusing on these four as an open invitation to all to embark on the adventure of discipleship, of following Jesus. So at the outset, let's avoid complacency and remind ourselves that these things, church, communion, baptism and tithing, aren't normal to those outside of the church. And at the same time, discover how we can convey the wonderful nature of and meaning of these things to those who would think they're weird. We'll look at such aspects as the biblical foundations of these practices. And why do we still follow them today? How can Christians make the most of these? And how can we explain them to people that we meet who think they're just plain weird? Let's remind ourselves of our beginning. We've been going for over 2,000 years. Uh, not, not Door of Hope, <laughs> but the church itself. We've been going for 130 years. Let me read to you about our beginnings from Acts chapter 2. That's uh, the book of the Acts of the Apostles in the New Testament, the newer part of the Bible. Chapter 2, reading verses 1 to 13. So when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They see, saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Aban, Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in their own tongues. 
our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They've had too much wine. And two things that will be helpful as background as we look at this to understand the context. How come all these people were gathered here at this time? Well, firstly, there was the festival, the Jewish festival of Shavuot, or Festival of Weeks, a celebration of the harvest that had just been completed. And there's also seven weeks from the celebration of Passover, uh, celebrating their rescue from Egypt. So Jewish people and converts to Judaism came from all over Asia and beyond to Jerusalem to celebrate the harvest and they stayed on to celebrate Shavuot and the holiday attached. Jerusalem, Jerusalem would have been so crowded. And these coinciding of these factors and events brought together this large group of people. And the second background or context that we need to know is that it was also 50 days after Jesus' resurrection. Jesus' crucifixion took place at Passover and this is 50 days, hence the name Pentecost, meaning 50 days, after Passover. Jesus celebrated Passover with his disciples the night before he was crucified. Now, back to the story. And after being accused of being drunk, Peter stood up and preached to that culturally and linguistically diverse group of people as the Holy Spirit emboldened him. The assembled people were able to hear Peter speak to them in their own tongue, their own language, through the Holy Spirit's intervention, and as a result, many responded to the message. What a miraculous event. They believed in Jesus and repented, and then the Holy Spirit had been given to them also. And it's recorded that some 3,000 were baptised that day. So that first gathering of what was to become the church got off to a great start. Then if we read on in that same chapter in Acts to verse 42 to 47, this records the period after this miraculous event at Pentecost. And it says of the people, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the wonders and signs uh, performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And this passage is talking about those people that had been baptised on the day that we now call Pentecost, plus the apostles and other disciples already living in Jerusalem. And we see God-given growth that followed as they function in this Holy Spirit-led way. The Lord added to their number. Let me unpack this a little bit. What does it mean by the apostles' teaching? Well, for a start, there was Peter's Pentecost sermon, which was really um, strong and biblically based, quoting the Old Testament. And uh, no doubt there was great Q&A sessions after that with 3,000 people and other disciples. And I like to believe that the other apostles or disciples 
taught also about Jesus and what uh, their experience of him and his ministry was and how he was the Messiah and Saviour. And we have the New Testament letters, that's the letters written to the churches that are in the New Testament after the Acts of the Apostles. They were written by apostles and disciples to the churches that they'd established and pastored and to the developing churches spread right across Asia. And what does it mean by the fellowship? Well, first there were two sets of types of fellowship. There was the gathering in homes, a bit like a, a small connect group, if you like, a small number of people gathering in their homes, and also in the temple forecourts, large groups to worship and pray and hear from the Old Testament scriptures. And then it also talks about breaking of bread as one of the things they did. This is where they had fellowship meals together in private homes and they had the Lord's Supper, what we call communion now, where they shared a memorial feast, the bread and the cup, just as Jesus had taught them. And we will be dealing with this in depth next Sunday. And the prayers. I assume they taught the Lord's Prayer to the new converts and also how to give thanks and praise. And I dare say some of the prayers from the Old Testament were taught as well. Remember how the disciples had asked Jesus how to teach them to pray and then the Lord's Prayer had been given to them, more correctly called the Disciples' Prayer. So they devoted themselves to the Apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And so that, till now, has been by way of introducing the whole series that we're going through. So to focus in on today's title, Church, Weird and Wonderful. As we consider the church worldwide and also this church, Door of Hope, we need to remind ourselves that our heritage, our foundation, our beginnings are deeply and distinctly biblical, coming directly from God's word, just as Peter preached. This sets the church apart from every other organisation or club or group. It's one of the hugely important distinctives. Christopher Morgan, writing for the Gospel Coalition, says in part, The church is this new covenant people of God, rooted in the promises to Israel, and inaugurated, started, by the Holy Spirit, which refers both to all believers in Jesus Christ and to local gatherings of believers. And here the, uh, the new covenant simply means the new agreement between believers and God instituted by Jesus Christ that night with his uh, disciples and with us individually compared to the whole of Israel, uh, our old covenant with the nation. And I'm going to deal with this weird and wonderful church through the lens of three key words. Know, value and be. So the first key word, know. Know the church. We need to know and understand the church. The Apostle Peter put it like this when he was writing some 60 years after Pentecost and he was writing to persecuted Christians in Asia Minor. And then this is found in Peter's first letter, chapter 2, verses 9 to 10. And he says to these people, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, 
that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, in that 60 years that have elapsed since that first Pentecost, the new believers, followers of Jesus, had been largely driven out of Jerusalem by persecution from the Jewish religious leaders. They were dispersed, as is recorded in Acts chapter 8, beginning with the martyrdom of Stephen, one of the disciples. Now, I'll unpack this a little bit. The phrase chosen people. You see, they were both Gentile, that is non-Jewish, and Jewish Christians, that's converts from Judaism. A chosen people, both Gentile and Jewish. They were called out of a darkness of no relationship with God into his wonderful light so that they could see the truth of God and his son, Jesus Christ. And then it also says they were once not a people and now the people of God. They used to be tribes and small pagan nations, once outsiders to God's covenant or agreement. Now, because of Pentecost, they are insiders. You see, as we know and understand our heritage and our beginnings, we are then able to value more of what God calls us to be. So the second key word is value. Reminding you of what Peter said, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. The word chosen, of course, implies something special of value. And in the Old Testament, we read that Israel... The nation of Israel was chosen and set it apart to be a blessing to others, God's special people, by an arrangement, an agreement known as the Old Covenant. God chose Israel, the Jewish nation. And you might say, how odd of God to choose the Jews. But I might say, how odd of still that the God of the Jews chose you and me. Now, since Jesus walked on this earth and then gave his life for us on the cross, Gentiles, those who were once outsiders, have been included in the mercy of God. Gentiles means all of us if we don't have Jewish ethnicity. What we refer to as the Old Covenant or the Old Agreement was based on the need for continual blood sacrifices to temporarily cleanse the people of their sins, both individually and tribally, and as the people of Israel. The new covenant was established by Jesus and sealed by his death and resurrection, and it ended all that sacrificial system. And we celebrate that whenever we have communion or the Lord's Supper together. Jesus' words at the Last Supper that he had with his disciples just before his crucifixion, and he said, as he took one of the cups of the Passover meal, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. And as I said before, more about that next week. Old Testament Israel was called out of the pagan nations and blessed by God so that they could be God's instrument to bless others. And then at that first Pentecost, Gentiles were invited in and included in the new covenant and together with Jewish Christians became the church. Now the church is God's chosen instrument of blessing. God's special people. So we must value what God calls us, special, 
chosen to be as the church. And as we come to know who we are and what we're called to be as the church, we can attach greater value to what God calls us to be and what God wants us, his church, door of hope, to do. So know and then value, now be. We, the church, as followers of Christ, are called to be the hope of the world. Worldwide church, generally, and Door of Hope specifically, are called to be the hope of the world. To be the hope of the world with courage and humility in a fragile and uncertain, and even, in some cases, broken world. Let me unpack that a little bit for you. Hope of the world, what's that mean? Well, what we have is unique. We have hope, we have received mercy, we have a future. The word of God reassures us, as Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 10 of his um, letter. And this is just one of the numerous passages of assurance that we can find. It says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and bless believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So that's, we have the hope of the world. Secondly, with courage. Courage to cross cultural barriers. You see, we don't have to go over the seas to experience another culture. Just step outside. Outside these walls, there is a very different culture to the culture prevailing inside. As soon as we relate to someone who is not of this church culture, we are crossing into a different culture. There's different thinking, there's different actions and belief structures. We need to allow for that. That does take courage. And we're to do it with humility. And our model for this is the humility of Jesus. We might well ask, what would Jesus do? Our world is fragile and uncertain and broken, and even toxic, as Chris reminded us at a meeting recently. War, vastly different economic capacities, even within our own country, let alone in the world, climate effects, displaced persons, refugees, our world and its need have to be handled with love and humility. In order to be calling, obedient to this calling, this hope God gives us through Jesus is to be taken outside of the walls of the physical church building and across whatever cultural boundaries we encounter and to be conveyed to those that we meet that there is a hope, the person of Jesus Christ, and we're to do it with gentleness and respect. And this is conveyed, of course, firstly by our actions. Until the people people begin reading the Bible for themselves, we have to be the Bible they read and a very contemporary, culturally appropriate version of that. Our actions speak louder than words, both positive and negatively. Until Jesus introduces himself to them, we must model Jesus to them. This is a phrase that we used to use, Jesus with skin on by our actions, firstly, and then secondly, by our words. In 1 Peter 3.15, we read, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. 
Be prepared. The Alpha Course is an excellent beginning for this. And so by our actions and by our words, because it is truly a different culture out there. Australia is no longer the Christian country I was born into. The uh, ABS states that in 1911, not my year of birth, 96% of Australians identified themselves as Christian. And in the middle of the 1900s, the local church was the social centre of the community, especially in the country areas. By 2016, that figure is down from 96% to 52%. And the census figures just released says it's now just above 40%. And of course, that phrase identified as Christian is quite a sort of a loose thing because when you deal with people out there in a different culture, you find that there's a great variation in understanding about God and the afterlife and being a Christian. So the key words, know, value and be. We need to know and understand the church. We need to know and understand our heritage, our beginnings. We're then able to value more what God calls us to be. The church is called to be the hope of the world, to be the hope of the world with courage and humility in a fragile and uncertain world. How weird or wonderful the church is perceived in the community around us is down to us. How much the Bible is seen as the truth and the word of creator God that is dependable is largely down to us. What people believe about Jesus Christ and his offer of salvation is to a certain extent down to us. How much the church is seen to offer hope in a fragile and uncertain world is definitely down to us. How much each person we meet discovers their worth as seen by God is largely down to us. You see, the church exists for those who are not yet part of it. As we pause to reflect on this, as I reflect on this, I ask myself what challenges me? I want to speak firstly to those of us who call Door of Hope a church. Do you feel chosen? You are. Do you feel special? You are. And how are you going with what's happening outside our four walls? Do you believe God loves them? And that Jesus died for them too? He does. And he did. How is your preparedness to give an answer for the hope that you hold, that you have? Have you considered Alpha? Have you considered inviting someone to Alpha? How are you going building relationships with non-Christians? Now to perhaps you're watching online or visiting and yet don't identify yourselves with this church or any other church in particular. What holds you back from being part of the church? You are special. God loves you. Would you like to talk to somebody about that? About the questions you may have? If you're watching online, of course, you've got the chat button there that you can use. Or if you're in this service this morning, would you make yourself known to somebody or perhaps come and speak to someone at the front at the end of the service? just want to pause now for a quiet 
moment of reflection. And if you're comfortable with this, perhaps you could close your eyes. Ask God to show you what he wants you to know. You are chosen. You are special. What about what he wants you to value? His mercy, his word, his church, fellowship. Perhaps God's wanting you to be the Bible that your neighbour can read. Or perhaps Jesus with skin on to someone you work with. Or an instrument of God's blessing to somebody outside these walls. In these final moments, ask God to answer you, show you. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for your word that stands through the centuries, true and applicable through the ages. Ask now that as minds reflect, Lord, that you would speak gently to each one and guide in their understanding. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.